Welcome to episode seven of the Pub Democracy podcast, a conversation on life and politics where we seek to return thoughtfulness, truth, and depth into our political discourse over a good beverage. I am your host, Brian Burkoff, a pastor in Holland, Michigan, who's running for U.S. Congress in Michigan's second district. After the devastating murder of George Floyd by the police, Americans everywhere are rising up to say Black Lives Matter and we need change now. Today I am joined by a friend who has been working for social change and racial justice for years, who has an incredibly unique and powerful voice and who believes deeply in the power of the human spirit. My guest today is Genesis B. Genesis has 18 years of experience of rocking stages, producing albums, and writing original music. She speaks of herself as the introverted orator and uses her unique expertise as a rapper, speaker, and writer to help the next generation of leaders and entertainers make their mark on the world. Welcome, Genesis. Thank you so much for having me. Hello, everybody listening out there in the world. So often uh, at the beginning of the Pub Democracy podcast, we talk about a favorite beverage that we're drinking, uh, maybe a local brew or something like that. But I've, I've noticed today on social media that you are on an alcohol fast. Tell me how that's going. It's, it's going good. I'm about six months in. I'm just doing a year. So December 5th is my birthday. So last December 5th, I just decided um, I'm not going to drink again until my my son comes around uh, a, a year for me in, in terms of my birth year. Right, right. Yes, uh, exactly. When the sun goes around, uh, full revolution. Now, uh, my guess is that's been a little harder than you thought, given we've been in a global pandemic. Well, that's what's interesting about it. I thought it would be a lot harder than it really is. Um, this has been one of the hardest years for me and many people, but you know, I was touring. Touring can be very stressful and um, our tour is postponed. We went home. So going from being around a whole lot of people in different cities with different people and your tour mates, and then all of a sudden you're around nobody and you're completely isolated alone. It was kind of a challenge for me. Um, and also I was dealing with a breakup around the same, same thing. And uh, one of my friends passed away, um, rest in power, Jason Williams. And so it was, it's been a very difficult year and I've just been really proud of myself that I just haven't needed a crutch um like alcohol so i don't it's not something i think about i'm six months in so i wake up in the morning i don't think about it anymore i, I drink a lot of lacroix <laughs> i was gonna ask what what's your sub is it so lacroix yeah, yeah. or however you pronounce it lacroix no i think you're right yeah that's how we call it in the burkoff household <laughs> oh okay yeah i've been on, i've been on that lacroix heavy <laughs> there you go there you go. Well, very good. Very good. And congrats on six months. That's, that's quite an accomplishment. Thank you. So, you know, we're obviously as a nation going through uh, something very profound in this moment in the wake of the murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and you've been working on issues of race and 
racial equity and awareness and justice for a long time. Give me a sense of, of how you're feeling in this moment. Uh, and are you feeling encouraged with what you're seeing in terms of sort of the widespread uh, support for protests and so on? Uh, what's your sense of things? In terms of everything that's flaring up at the moment, I'm so proud. I'm so proud of all my people for getting out in the streets and making their stance known, making their voice heard. Uh, if you were asleep before and you're awake now, I'm not mad at that. You know, wish you woke up a little earlier, but at least you're awake now and we are now all on the same plane or as close to the same plane as we've been on in a very long time. So I'm just proud of my people, um, all of my people. And I'm encouraged. It's like, finally, yes, there's, there's movement, there's numbers, because we know that there's strength in numbers and you see a lot of uh, corporations and, and things that have always kind of ignored our plight kind of coming out and speaking up um, what their intentions are. Um, do I think that they're all golden intentions? Absolutely not. You know, I think they're afraid of losing black dollars and, uh, and white dollars or allies. So, uh, but whatever, you know, you know, this is how change happens. You know, I, I could really give a damn about the intention as long as the outcome is true reform and systemic change at least the safety and um safety and fairness when it comes to black people here in america i saw a video that you posted of you speaking i believe at the uh, the mississippi capitol is that right that's right Jackson. tell me what tell me what that event was and and what what you were hitting on in, in your speech there which was very powerful by the way Sure, sure. Thank you for watching it. Um, the co-chair of, or the chair of the Mississippi's Poor People's Campaign reached out to me. Um, her name's Leah Campbell and Danielle Holmes. They reached out to see if I wanted to participate. Leah Campbell is a longtime um, collaborator of mine, actually. Uh, she has an organization that she founded called Mississippi Rising Coalition to help remove this, the Confederate emblem from the state flag. So the protest was called No Free Kill, No Free, Free Kill protest, not only in support of justice for George Floyd, but uh, the families of Ricky Ball and Mark Davis were out there as well. They were both murdered by cops without any justice. Mm -hmm. So we were with standing in solidarity with, with those uh, families and looking to uh, reopen cases that have been closed and um, seeking help from Attorney General Lynn Fitch and calling for her to do the right thing, you know, and uh, it's just very disappointing how these how these um, cases are being handled. It's right. in Mississippi is the microcosm of America, you know, like what we're seeing um, all over the nation with the, the killing by the police and all these things, you know, America's been dealing with it for a long time, you know, and Mississippi has a, a very brutal almost unbelievable history when it comes to white supremacist police officers. The Klan and police are synonymous to us historically. So that's why we were out there. Yeah, yeah, wow. Well done. Well, you just mentioned uh, Mississippi is a microcosm of a nation and that's a title of one of your powerful spoken word pieces that I've been 
privilege to hear you uh, give in person. And there's a line in there where you say, Mississippi is a microcosm of a country that always needed me but never wanted me. Our melanin and skin is a sin sentenced to build your economy. It just gives me goosebumps just hearing those words and, and, and knowing how much pain and history and struggle is behind that. I don't even know what question to ask in light of that, but I, I just, I, I just um, feel that, that tension and, and that ongoing struggle and, and that, you know, you have to gather in mass with friends and co-conspirators at the Capitol and say, we have a state flag that contains the Confederate flag. Like, are we paying attention here? What year is this? Right. Like how hopeful are you for, for, widespread response from white folks who continue to resist being called to account for our history in a state like Mississippi? Mm. Like, is there, is there movement? Uh, you know, what, what is happening in terms of symbols like that, in terms of real response to calls to respond to uh, police violence against black bodies? What makes this feel different, Brian, what's going on here in America is that the white liberal, white moderate, uh, white allies are coming out in numbers that we have not seen. Mm. And if you listen to some of the old speeches of Martin Luther King, I won't say speeches, but his writings, he talks about this thing about nothing is gonna change unless the white moderate is willing to put their own freedom and comfort on the line to make a change. It's very difficult for us to do this on our own because there's there's power structures in place to make sure that we don't and there's 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 privilege um that you all have that can really just change america it's true and that's the change that i'm seeing also here in mississippi is a lot of our white allies are putting their comfort and freedom on the line mm -hmm. in ways that i've i've never personally seen it you know i you know talk to my father and you know he he has a long history here with my grandfather legacy of civil rights and uh brutality against my family and power within my family and we haven't seen this yet so i'm hopeful and i think that's really what is needed you know like white people need to help fix america <laughs> You're not wrong. You're not wrong at all. And, you know, I, I'm feeling uh, encouraged as well uh, here in, in West Michigan and in, in the district that I'm running for for Congress. We've seen uh, protests uh, in Holland, uh, where I live. We've seen two. Uh, and the second one had around 3,000 people, which I don't think there's ever been uh, a rally with that number of people in our small town here in West Michigan uh, ever. So that feels very encouraging in Montague, in Muskegon. There's one planned in Hudsonville, which is one of the most conservative towns in West Michigan, which itself is a traditionally very conservative area. So when places like Hudsonville mm -hmm. start showing up to say Black Lives Matter, mm -hmm. it seems to me, as you said, that we are shifting. Things, a consciousness has been raised and I appreciate your graciousness in saying, hey, white folks who are finally paying attention, welcome. Because yeah, for sure. we need you. Got, it's got to be frustrating because, as you said, King said so many years ago, the white moderate is standing in the way of real progress. Even the white liberal who says they voice the right values, but where have they been? 
they're right. not putting their lives on the line. So I guess a question to you is we're seeing energy around showing up to, for a protest or a rally for an hour, two hours, three hours. What kinds of things would you like to see out of white allies that move us toward actual structural change? Um, I mean, I, I don't really know how to answer that question. I, maybe I know that's a I'm, poor question, you know, as a, as a white person, you know, maybe that's not even a great question, but. I mean, um, no, I mean, it's a fair question, you know. I, I can't lead the white people, you know. I, I do know what I want to see happen. I want to see real police reform, you know. I want to I see task force and citizens task force who are uh, doing background checks to see if these folks have white supremacist backgrounds scouring the internet speaking to family members like i want to i want to make sure we purge law enforcement of white supremacists and of black officers and brown officers who uh who have a problem uh with their power who 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 are psychopaths who are abusing their power and har harming other people be it white people black people brown people like those type of people don't need badges i, I want to see true reform i want to see um all racist symbols being removed from public properties that taxpaying dollars go towards. I want to see the Mississippi state flag change. I want to see Confederate um, statues come down. I want to see America teaching our children the correct history, not the whitewash history. I would like to see yes. America looking at what Germany did after the uh, unfortunate events of the Holocaust, those atrocities. I'd like to see them take these racist symbols put them in museums where they belong so that we can learn and that this never happens again teach our children correctly um repent atonement reparations all the things germany did like I, that's that's what i want america to help uh, white americans help create that because we can't move forward and we can't heal if we're not willing to really recognize the past and that's all of america mississippi is part of america y'all and, and what's going on down here is an American problem too. Yeah, incredibly well said. I saw a, a tweet from our friends at Vote Common Good that talked about statues and, and flags are used to celebrate. Museums are there to educate. So let's take these symbols exactly as you said, move them away from these positions of celebration and move them into a museum where they're a part of our actual real history, but we look at them more in a, a sense of shame and repentance and never again. And when they're out in the public square, we clearly have not moved to that place at all. Exactly. And it's really sad. It's really sad as a daughter of Mississippi to see that we still have not arrived. And I'm, I'm hopeful though, you know, I'm trying really hard not to get my hopes up. Like we've been fighting for this for so many years and it gets shut down by our lawmakers every time. So I'm trying not to get my hopes up, but my hopes are soaring. So, <laughs> you know, I hope I'm hoping any day, you know, and, and if they choose not to, if they don't want to do the right thing, um, I don't know that we can keep peace here in Mississippi. So I'm praying that they do the right thing because we do want peace, but we also can't take any more um, um, squashing and kneeling and choking of our dignity anymore. So. It's the balls in their court. One of the things that happened here in Michigan uh, from the Michigan Senate was uh, passing of 
regulations for police of de-escalation training requirements and mandatory bias training. I thought those were two hopeful uh, moves in a positive direction. Uh, but I think also we need to really look at city funding and the balance of that, you know, I've been seeing numbers that are startling when you look at city budgets and how much goes to law enforcement. It is incredible. And we're, we're at, and sometimes we're asking police to do things they really shouldn't be doing. And they're actually bringing a less helpful presence to a situation that could be much better helped by a mental wellness expert, a social worker, uh, or some other person who's more properly outfitted to with real training to help someone in a challenging situation rather than assuming the police should show up in this situation. That's perfectly so, said. You're hundred percent right. Yeah. Defund the police. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, I think momentum is growing, but we need to see real action happening for change to happen. Well, you talk uh, in some of your work about a social theory of people, not things. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. Uh, <clears throat> people not things is an ancient truth. I didn't make it up. It has existed ever since there were people on earth. And people not things is something that we've unlearned because we've been uh, taught a different curriculum that says uh, actually homo sapiens, the species of humans, uh, are divided amongst race, Caucasoids, Mongoloids, Negroes. It's false. The construct of race was created to justify the exploitation of another people. Right. So what people not things means, usually when I say that phrase, people think that it means people over profit, right? Stop, right. stop, uh, you, you know, basing your morals on materialism versus how you treat people. That is a component of it. But the overarching idea of people not things is people are not things. People are not the labels that we ascribe to them only. We are not the labels that sometimes we ascribe to ourselves. Mm -hmm. All humans are very complex entities that are worthy of dignity. That's the basis of people, not things. And we've unlearned that. We have, to, we have to relearn people, not things, unlearn the other curriculum that we've been taught, which says um, it's based on biases. Whether it's the media instilling these biases, our church, our communities, um, our schools, you know, our teaching that Differences are to be exploited and degraded and mocked, but our differences are meant to be celebrated. We're supposed to learn from other cultures. We're supposed to learn from each other. And I think we, just, we need to get back to that ancient truth. And so that's what I fight for. And that's what I call for. And that's what I use my art to amplify this concept of seeing people as human first not just the labels that we ascribe to each other. And I, it sounds very simple, but I think if that consciousness became a global consciousness, you would see a lot less violence, a lot less pain, a lot less destruction of our earth, a lot, um, a lot of these exploitative behaviors that we've been taught. It's, uh, we have a sickness 
and, and, and the cure is to unlearn um, the falsehood that we're taught that's ingrained in us. Absolutely. Very beautifully said. Uh, talk about the challenge in moving us toward that place of seeing people as people, as their beings, as humans first, when we are in a political moment where we have a president who often does the opposite, right? He very much wants to classify us by labels and then sort of divide us by creating fear, uh, by spouting falsehoods about people based on the language they speak, the country they come from, or the color of their skin. It feels like we're swimming upstream to try to get that narrative out there. So, so how, I guess, so how, how much can our work be in this move forward easier and better if we had a different sort of national leadership? Mm. Like, how, like how much power, I guess, do you ascribe to, to, you know, one person sitting in that office? We know there's a whole undercurrent of history in this country doing all of that, but it feels like when we have national leadership that revels in that negative history versus moving us toward a future vision that you've just outlined, it makes the work that much harder. Well, Brian, although he spews lies and his actions show cowardice, ascribing that much power to any man will eventually render you powerless. And I say that to, to tell all your listeners out there, there's two kinds of people in this world. There's a lot of kind of people in this world, but for the sake of my theory, what I'm about to say, there's two kinds of people in this world, yeah. leaders and followers. Mm. All right, so you can be a leader in your household. You could be a leader to your little brother. You can be a leader in your elementary school. You can be a leader in your community. The point is leaders do not react out of fear. So if you are, say a white woman, you're walking down the street and it's just you, and then you see a black man walking down the opposite way and your paths will cross. If you have an inkling in your mind of fear of that man, he's gonna mug me, he's gonna rob me, he's gonna do this, then you're thinking with the follower mindset instead of taking a pause and saying, where is this fear coming from? Who taught me this? Is it the images that I'm seeing in the media of black men? Maybe it's hip hop music. I don't know. Maybe it's, you know, the way that my parents have spoken about black people. There's some image that has been perpetuated in your life that makes you fear that human because of how they look. So I would encourage you to take the leader approach. You know, that man, he's probably not even thinking about you. He's probably worried about his SATs that he has to take or you know, that, that, that stock that he's about to buy. Like I would just challenge you to look at humans as very complex yeah. and that they have a whole, whole other side to them that you, know, you, you might not be aware of. But I just wanted to challenge people to rise to the occasion. There's, there's no one who's gonna come into office who's going to change the world. It's not gonna happen. Like we have to change it. We have to change the world. It's not gonna be some magical Democrat who's gonna solve all the problems. Like we, we have to work together to solve them. No one man, no one woman is going to change the world. And, you know, they, they can have significant impact. Don't get me wrong. Trump has had a significant impact, I believe. Obama did. I think Biden will when he comes to office. But 
that's how you remain powerless is when you ascribe so much power to our presidents, to our leaders. Um, the power is in the people. If we, you know, if we don't move, nothing moves. If we don't buy, businesses fail. There, that's a lot of power. And I think people are waking up and realizing just how much power we hold, you know, and it's a beautiful thing. So we all, all what you're seeing with all these protests is a bunch of individual leaders you know, there's a lot of following too, don't get me wrong, but you know, a lot of individual leaders coming together and saying like, we have to change this because they're not gonna change it for us. Excellent, yeah, well said. And I think you're exactly right uh, to highlight that, you know, regardless of who is in elected office, no one person can change everything because we're talking about complex systems and structures. We're talking about whole networks of communities of people. And we know uh, that our system uh, and our nation, regardless of who is president, has not been a friend or made it easy for the lives of people of color, regardless of whether it's, you know, a perfect Democrat, which doesn't exist, or a Republican, uh, or whoever it is, right? That there's gonna be work to do, there is work to do, regardless of any particular outcomes, elections outcome. Uh, so very well said. Now that said, <laughs> right? Saying that, you know, elected leaders only have so much power. Talk a little bit uh, about the connection that you see between activism and voting. You know, I yeah, think some sure. some folks want to jump in and say it's all activism is all where it's at, or some want to say, well, voting is all where it's at. Where where do you fall on that, and and how would you encourage people when you look at this current moment we're in? Um, yeah, I mean, I fall on more on the activism side, but I also use my activism to educate and inspire uh, young people to vote, also. Um, but my relationship with voting is a love hate relationship. I come from a state where. Uh, voter suppression, gerrymandering, um, just dis complete discounting of votes is a very real thing. And over-incarcerating Black men so that they cannot vote is a very real thing. And because Mississippi is a microcosm of America, a lot of our communities across America deal with the same thing. We saw what happened in Georgia on the yeah. 9th. You get what I'm saying? So it's like, yeah. When we see this happening over and over and over, there's only so much I could tell a young person about voting until they're looking at me like, well, she just really don't know what's going on. You know, so I try my best yeah. to still say vote at the very least, though. Like to me, voting is like the bottom of things that you can do. Right. Like, and, and that uh, to me, it's more symbolic. You know, it's like, OK, if I'm willing to get out and vote, then I'm willing to take the next step. For, to implement change in my household, in my school, in my community. But at the very basis, I'm voting. Never, ever, ever, I, I, tell, I tell my kids, never, ever put all your apples into voting. Yes. You know, and, and I teach them a history of it. And not even the history is going on now still, unfortunately. Right. Um, so I lean more towards um, activism, mobilization, empowering people. Uh, rather than helping people empower politicians. I like it. I like it a lot. And, uh, and I really appreciate you saying, you know, that that's the least you can do. And don't assume, okay, I've, I've gone, I've voted, whether I've gone in person to the polling place, or as many of us may do, vote by mail uh, this November with the current health crisis. Uh, don't think you've, you've done some, you know, 
magical thing that's going to heal society. It is critically important, yes, but as you noted, too many people have seen their vote disenfranchised. We've seen too many uh, things done to pervert true democracy for us to believe that that's enough. And so we need to be out on the street. We need to be active in our communities. We need to be pressing those who are in office to enact legislation that move us toward justice. And it's gotta happen at all levels, but really from the bottom up more than the top down. Sure. Well said. Well, I think we're getting uh, near our time here. Anything else on your mind that you'd like to share with my audience? I've got, you know, I'm running for office here in West Michigan, uh, but uh, as you know, any any elected office uh, impacts people across the nation. Um, but anything you'd like to say uh, in closing to our to our listeners? Sure. Uh, so I was uh, raised Muslim, and the Islamic faith is based on the concepts of compassion and service, and that is really dictated and made a roadmap for me, for my activism. Um, as an adult, now I ascribe to Sufism, Sufism, uh, which is the mystic form of Islam, and the main focus of Sufism is um, understanding that we are part of an eternal reality that involves love of all things, love of all people, love of our creator. Um, everything is love. So I just wanna tell your listeners that revolutionary love is what we're seeing right now when you witness a public execution and a man crying for his mother. The response that we're seeing is love. That's why people are out protesting because at the basis of everything, the common denominator that we have as humans is we love our families, we love our sons, our daughters, our mothers. Um, I saw a sign that said, when he called for his mama, all mothers were activated. Mm. So love each other. You might not agree with each other, don't try to change anyone's mind. You can change people's hearts, but don't try to change anyone's mind. Approach things with humility and love and listen and know that your goal is never to change anybody's mind. Your goal is to be love and show love. And I know it doesn't seem like it when people are uh, rioting and protesting that you know, you're like, oh, this, this isn't love. The majority of it is love. You know, because when you love something so hard and you see it being destroyed, you're called into action. Yeah. You're called into action so that that does not happen to anyone else's son or daughter. That's what, that's what we're seeing right now. So I want you guys to sit with that concept of revolutionary love. Um, and I don't mean that in a romantic sense. I don't mean love and like, oh, I care for you so much. I mean, radical system breaking, system building, love for one, one another. And if you truly love our country, then you will fight to make it its greatest potential because it, it has never been reached. It's never been reached. So we have the opportunity to make America reach its greatest potential. And we have to use love to do that. Terrific, terrific, awesome. And before we end the show, I want to give our listeners a chance to hear you perform. Here is Genesis B performing live with protesters in Jackson, Mississippi in 2018. I used to think Mississippi operated in a vacuum. 
but I realize now it doesn't. See, Mississippi is a microcosm of a nation. Police exoneration and mass incarceration. Black and brown bodies a commodity. Mothers separated from babies, border policy. Our White House is painted in the Klan's ideology. Our leadership is exploiting white poverty. Keeping us separate and divided. Gay versus straight, white versus black, based off of fear and far from the facts. See, I hail from a state called the mighty Mississippi. Our state flag holds the stars and bars, praising a brutal history. It flies in front of schools and in my judge's court, sending a clear message to us, our lives are not important. Cause my dad was only five when the Klan drive by, bust bullets into his house with six children inside. And these are the truths they choose to deny. See, Mississippi, like America, eats your child and mine. The white supremacist lie is a prison of your own design. You forfeited your humanity in order to deny mine. See, Mississippi is a microcosm of a nation that gaslights this generation. See where I'm from? Children walk across stages at their own graduation with a racist symbol waving and just a display of saying that we are forgotten and forsaken and disrespected on the daily. Decades of discrimination with lynchings and devastation. See, your supremacy is a lie. You accepted it. A confederate curse you inherited. Bigotry is blinding. Your fear of the other has blocked your own blessings from your sisters and brothers. Outrage, fatigue, I'm screaming I can't breathe. From the top, it trickles down to our judges and police. Cause the illusion of freedom is far more dangerous than any jail cell or cramped cages, yes. Mississippi is a microcosm of our nation, where cowards replace white sheets with fake avatars, repeating their parents' folklore to fairy Santa Claus. The history's whitewashed. Google black codes and bylaws, and the Calmont section sound off. See, Mississippi is a microcosm of a country that always needed me but never wanted me. My melanin and skin is a sin, sentenced to build your economy. Pack the prisons, fill the quota, make us felons, never voters. Travel bans and deportation, killer cops, no resignation. Only federal indictments and mock trials. See, my heart bleeds as the billboard reads, make America white again as my favorite rapper concedes. Making me question everything that I believe. But still, I love America, cause I have hope. Some choose to jump ship, and some steer the boat. I know that love and humanity lives in the smile of every child, in the heart of every kid. So be brave enough to break the curse. We need you at the polls, out in droves, voting against the bigots you oppose. Study law, run for office, use your voice, write your Congress. Make a call or choose a march, Malcolm's gone, grab the torch. Read a book or write a rap, Speak with truth and deal with facts, cause freedom and justice are under attack. Alt-right affiliation of Trump's administration, Confederate infiltration, neo-Nazis showing faces, just fueling the fear and the hatred while expanding their corporations. Do you see now how Mississippi is a microcosm of our nation? Thank you. If folks want to follow you, Genesis, uh, support your work, how can they do that? Sure. 
Um, I have an organization, if anyone wants to make a tax-deductible donation to strivetillirise.org, and I can send you that link. That's Strive Till, like Emmett, Emmett Till, T-I-L-L, strivetillirise.org. Um, and that is a initiative that empowers youth using hip hop and art so that they understand what their voting rights are, their consumer rights, and just teaching young leaders how to make a true impact in the world, no matter what their resources is, what, no matter what their abilities are. Um, and if you're on socials, uh, I'm pretty active on Instagram, but at Genesis B, that's B-E, Genesis B, all one word, that's Twitter, Instagram, everywhere and I'm looking forward to connecting with some of y'all and thank you so much for having me and letting allowing me to use your platform to share my message. Well, the delight was all ours, uh, all mine. Thanks Genesis for joining us today. Peace. Thank you friends for tuning in to the Pub Democracy podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share it on social media or tell a friend. You can follow me at Pub Theologian on Twitter and like my campaign page on Facebook at Brian Burgoff for Congress. And you'll find me on Instagram as well. You can listen to the Pub Democracy podcast anytime on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Please rate us there. That helps new, new people find the show. Music for today's episode by Lee Rosevere and stay tuned for new episodes dropping soon. Until next time, friends, keep using your voice, your heart, your hands, and your feet to be the change you want to see. Mm -hmm.